the real challenge and the real work of life seems to be discovering and developing who you are. And it's a lifelong process. And I think as parents, you have a privileged position to be witness to the development and the growth that happens early on where you can really start to see how a kid is unique and what their unique needs might be. That is Joe Aguirre, and this is the Dad Mindset Show. Thanks for downloading this latest episode. My name is Richard Bolas, and today I talk with LA-based director of photography, Joe Aguirre. We go into all sorts of topics, from what Joe is doing when he shows up best as a father, to how involving friends in learning activities like surfing and skiing can be an absolute game changer. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Joe Aguirre. Joe Geary, welcome to the show. It's so great to get to talk with you. Yeah, thank you. Likewise. Can you give us a bit of um, your background, like what it was like in your upbringing? Yeah, um, I always wanted to have kids. That was one thing I always knew about myself. And I realized at a young age that I had more interest in kids than um, babies um, than other kids that I knew. I I was, I think, the only boy that I knew that was really excited about babysitting. Um, so, you know, I came, uh, I was brought up with three siblings. Um, we were really tight-knit, my siblings and I. Um, so I really always cherished that family base and that family relationship. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that um, relationship was strong because my parents had um, a pretty rough marriage. Um, and um, my parents were divorced when I was 10 years old. And my dad kind of, um, I'm not sure if my dad ever really had the tools to be a good parent. Um, I think that he genuinely tried and I think that he wanted to be a good parent um, but his own upbringing was um, really tough his parents uh, were divorced when he was young his dad left the family and moved to Mexico and started a new life um, his mother uh, had drinking problems and left him and his two brothers to be raised by their grandparents, by his grandparents. Um, so I don't think he really had a good model for parents. I mean, he adored his grandparents, but um, I don't think that he really um, had a basis uh, or a well of experience to draw from as a parent. Um, so, you know, I think growing up, my, my mom, on the other hand, um, was very loving, very patient, um, a really good parent. She gave us a lot of uh, freedom and space um, and a lot of love. So those things made a huge impact. Um, and I think those are things that I still use as guides um, in my own parenting. Um, but 
yeah, I think, you know, as I was sort of nearing the age and, you know, once I met my wife, my future wife, and, you know, we started talking about having a family, it's always something that I wanted, but there was definitely a side of me that felt some trepidation um, about becoming a parent because, you know, I did not want to, um, to perpetuate those cycles. Um, and, uh, I think when I became a parent, I certainly started looking outside of my own family to friends or to dads of friends. Um, also my father-in-law for examples of, uh, how to be a good dad. Yeah. What, what, um, what were some of the examples that stick in your memory? Who, who did you look to and really admire as that sort of uh, someone that would, was doing something that you wanted to emulate? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> honestly, my father-in-law has been probably the biggest um, influence as far as um, he has had a very vital um, very current relationship with both of his daughters for the entire time that I've known them. Um, they talk almost daily. Um, and he, they always turn to him if they have questions. Um, they always, um, seek him out before making any major decisions. Um, and they also just, um, want to see how he's doing you know they um enjoy talking to him um they have a really tight bond and i think that was something that um i definitely didn't have with my dad my dad was an amazing he is an amazing personality um he's an amazing human being he's accomplished amazing things yeah um but as far as you know he, he has, he struggles with interpersonal relationships because it tends to be that if you want to have a relationship with my dad, you have to meet him where he is. Yeah. And as a kid, it's hard to understand that. Um, it's, you don't know that intuitively or instinctively that you need, you know, that, I mean, you actually learn it um, being this, you know, like, my relationship with my dad taught me that if I was to be close to my dad, I needed to watch a football game with him, watch a boxing match with him. Um, there was a certain like um, group of things that my dad had an interest in. And if I wanted to like have um, spend time with my dad, I needed to kind of do those things with him. Um, and I think, um, I think that's, um, you know, with, with the relationship that my wife had with, with her father, I think it was a lot more of a two-way street. He was always very interested in what she was doing and always very current with what she was doing. So he was paying attention and he was um, really involved in a way that definitely my dad was not really um, my mom was very much that person for me. I mean, my mom was an amazing example of a good parent. Um, and 
you know, I was super grateful. I am super grateful. And I was super fortunate to have um, my mom in my life because she really filled, um, you know, the shoes that were not filled by my dad's um, parenting. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's, um, as a dad, I, I really wanted to find other dads that dealt, dealt with dad issues in ways that I found, you know, inspiring. Yeah. And with the, I mean, it sounds like you learned that lesson really young at a young age and, and then applied that to being a dad yourself. And how did you actually apply the idea of attention and being involved with your own daughters? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that it's something that I do successfully all the time. Um, it's something that I have to practice. Um, I definitely think that being present and um, paying a lot of attention and asking questions, um, those are active things that bring you back to that process. Um, you know, I don't think that you ever sort of reach a place where, you know, you have a relationship that um, has a certain dynamic, you know, like all relationships, you have to work at it. And like all relationships, your own side, you know, you're, you're, there's always room for improvement. Um, but, you know, I think, especially as my daughters um, are, you know, I have a 12 year old and a 16 year old, um, especially the 16 year old, you know, um, at a certain point, you feel, you start to sense that your influence wanes um, and the influence of her peers starts to grow. Um, and that's just a, you know, that's the natural process of, um, you know, becoming a teenager. Um, but I think in order to, to keep a seat at the table, you really have to stay involved and you have to, um, you know, you have to stay current. And, um, I think just being present and, um, you know, not, you know, you, I always try to give her a lot of space, um, because I know that, you know, that's the, the stage that she's in now. She doesn't always want me, um, poking my head into her room and, you know, constantly asking questions. Um, but I think, um, in order to sort of keep that seat at the table, you have to stay engaged and, it, um, and interested and interested. Yeah. I mean, you know, my dad, um, he worked, uh, he had a nine to five job. So he was home every evening and most mornings I would see him as well. Um, my job, I will be home for long stretches and then I will be gone for long stretches. Um, but you know, it's, even though I saw my dad on a daily basis, I don't have a lot of memories of really sharing time with my dad. Um, when my dad got home, it was very much that like dad's home kind yeah. of, you know, put away the things, um, you know, uh, you know, tense up. It wasn't, um, it changed the dynamic of the house to be, um, you know, it, it, the house would be a, a lot more stiff and cold when my dad would get home. And I think um, 
you know, I probably spent more time with my dad than my girls spend with me, or at least um, more consecutive days together, certainly more unbroken stretches of time where I would see my dad on a daily basis. Um, but he wasn't involved in my day-to-day life. He didn't know what was going on with me. He had no idea when, you know, I started developing like a passion for surfing, which became all consuming. And essentially my entire teenage identity was wrapped up in that sport. Um, I, my dad never came to a surf contest. He never came to the beach um, to, you know, to go, you know, go to, he never went to the beach with me. He never took me to the beach. He was totally uninvolved. Um, and that is crazy to me as a dad. Um, and I think that's one of the things that's interesting about becoming a dad is you kind of look back on your own experiences and certain things where um, if I was, you know, as a parent, if my kid has a passion about something and, you know, wants me to, to come and watch them do something, that is an absolute priority. I mean, that's kind of the stuff that you live for. Yeah. Um, but again, I think that, you know, it was very much a part of my dad's, um, I think he had such a hard time because he didn't have any strong parental love that um, interpersonal relationships were just always very, very difficult for him. Yeah. You know? um, so it's, so yeah. sorry, I was going to say, Joe, so, I mean, you're obviously very involved as a father, like what are your thoughts around where, how you draw the line between involvement versus like too much? Like, how do you actually define that boundary? You know, because it could go too far the other way and be like smothering, couldn't it? How, how do you sort of dance that line? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, at the moment with my 12-year-old, she, um, she's so curious and she's got so many interests. And um, she wants to share all of that stuff with us. Um, and there is no way that we have the um, focus or the energy to 100% be there for all of the things that she's, you know, finds herself carried away with over the course of a day. Um, it's just, it's impossible to keep up. She has so much energy. And so she's, you know, she has, um, she's constantly flitting between these things that she's really passionate about. Um, but there's always an invitation to share those experiences. So it's really easy to kind of slip in with her and sort of get in that slipstream and, um, have an experience with her and then say, you know what, I've got to, do some work now, or I've got to start getting dinner ready, or um, it's a little bit tougher with my older daughter, just because, um, you know, teenage years, definitely um, the rules change a lot. And there's a lot less um, that you're invited, you know, you're, you're not invited to share as many experiences as perhaps we once were. Um, 
And I think that's just, you know, that's, that's kind of the stage that we're in right now. And I, you know, you, you kind of know that the long term plan is to keep that seat at the table and, you know, keep the relationship close and strong and that kind of stuff will come back. My mom always used to tell me like, you know, spend as much time as you can with them really being with them because all of that is money in the bank and later in life, all of that stuff is going to pay off in your relationship with them. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And a big part of that is giving them the space they need, you know, at certain times um, when they don't want you right there all the time. Yeah. And is it, do you feel it's almost like just with your older daughter, you've just, you've left the door open. So there's always an easy way for her to, to ask for your attention or time, but you're not sort of, you're not always offering it. Yeah. I mean, I, we have been really, um, we have tried to, to make it really clear that she can always come to us, you know, and beyond the like cliche of what, you know, cause that is, you know, a parental cliche. <laughs> um, but I think she really knows that, um, and this is actually something that Tam's dad, this is like a direct gift from Tam's dad, my, my wife's dad. Yeah. Because when she was, you know, in her teens um, and even into her early 20s, her dad had a standing deal with her that if he was, if she was ever in a situation where she needed a ride home, um, he would be there 100% at any time of night, no questions asked. And, you know, she tells it that, you know, they grew up in, in she grew up in Kent in the countryside, about 30 miles, uh, minutes outside of London. And so she would go to these parties in neighboring towns. It's not like it was just down the street, you know, or five minutes away. Oftentimes it was like it required her dad to get in the car and drive great distances um, in the middle of the night. But she said he would always show up with a suit on different generation, right? But he would dress in a suit and um, he would pick her up and never ask any questions. And I think um, that definitely engenders a kind of trust that um, is golden. Yeah. You know, trying to raise teenage daughters, that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of relationship that I want. That's, you know? a, that's a great so, rule as well, isn't it? To, to actually say, look, you know, I'm not going to ask any questions. So that's right. it. If you want to talk, you talk. But otherwise, I'm just going to make sure you get home safe. Well, I think that's what differentiates it from the parental cliche, right? I mean, that's yeah. like you're all in. If if you're really not going to ask questions and you're not going to be a cop, you're just going to be there to give a safe ride home. Yeah. Then, you know, then, of course, you, you I mean, they're going to call you. You know, you're you're. You're, you're really providing uh, a service um, that if you were just, I mean, there's no way that they're going to call you if they think that they're going to be busted. Or, right? or get I mean, judged or, yeah. Or get judged, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Any other sort of um, nuggets of gold there, Joe, from your father-in-law? That's a great one. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, he, what, 
his overriding influence is that he is just so enthusiastic. Um, and he always has so much enthusiasm for what other people are interested in. Um, and I think that as a parent, to, to keep your curiosity and to keep your enthusiasm um, into your 70s, you know, that's, that's, that's a major accomplishment. Yeah. And, uh, and I really put it down, their, their relationship down to that sort of approach, you know, to, to where his um, curiosity is 100% still there. Um, wow, that's awesome. And, and how does that, he's still around now, is he, Joe? He is, yeah. He's. Um, they live in Seven Oaks, Kent. Um, he has an old converted farmhouse um, where he has an architectural practice. So he kind of he lives over the shop, and um, he just absolutely eats, sleeps, and breathes architecture. Um, and um, you know, I think that's that's also part of what keeps him really enthusiastic and energetic is that he's deeply passionate about his his job his, his craft and, yeah and passion. yeah wow that's awesome <laughs> now um what's his relationship like as a grandfather with your girls yeah that's interesting because um it's obviously there's a generational difference and also i think the culture of southern california is quite different than the culture of Kent. Um, so, you know, the, the girls, my wife and her sister were brought up in, um, going to, you know, this boarding school that I think was pretty rigid and they had a very traditional education. They weren't boarders, but it was a school down the road that he had actually attended. So they attended the same school. And I think, you know, there was a certain, um, education and inculcation that that school provided that um, very much jibed with his own sense of, um, you know, uh, prop, you know, propriety and, and, you know, they were taught manners and um, how to behave and certain things. And I think our daughters are a little bit, you know, they've gone to very different kinds of schools. And um, I think, uh, you know, the way that they hold their knives and forks um, wasn't always the right way. Um, and I think he saw his, uh, a lot of his role was to kind of fill in the gaps in, the, in those ways early on, um, which I think put a strain sometimes oh, yeah. on that relationship, yeah. which really shouldn't be there because that really shouldn't, you know, be something that, you know, I think his role entails. Um, but I think he's relaxed a lot about it now. And I also think they've just, um, you know, they're not as uh, unkempt and crazy anymore. You know, they've grown <laughs> up quite a bit and they can sit at a table and, you know, hold a knife and fork properly. They know how to do that stuff now. So I think that puts him at ease. You know, yeah. it's, a big, it's a big generational difference between you know his generation and that culture and the you know the culture that my daughters are growing up with yeah and i i mean you work incredibly hard joe to you know provide for your children as well like 
What do you think about the importance of struggle, though? Because you've come, you, you've struggled a lot like to get to where you are. Right. But then you, your daughters are in this environment that's, I, I take it, somewhat easier than you had it earlier on. Like, what well, What are your thoughts there? That's a, yeah, that's a really interesting subject. Um, and this goes right back to my relationship with my dad. Because my dad um, was the first person in his family to graduate from university. Um, he struggled a lot to just make it through. Uh, he went to UC Berkeley and um, he really struggled, um, but eventually kind of clicked academically and then did very well. And so he was very successful in his career, um, but it, it was not um, something that was, nothing was given to him. And I think that he had such a strong sense that his accomplishment and his identity was forged through struggle that when he started raising kids and he started, um, you know, because when I was born, my parents were doing, were doing all right. But by the time I was 16, my dad had done quite well. So that afforded our family a certain lifestyle that my dad never had growing up. And I think my dad always, um, he grew up feeling like there were, um, like that life was very unfair. And the iniquity that he saw economically in American society, that certain kids grow up with, um, you know, privilege and those kids can go to Ivy League schools and then, you know, without having to really expend too much effort, can um, find themselves in careers with their, you know, their father's friends who hire them out of college. And this kind of old um, boy network that I think is, you know, common all over the world. But certainly my dad was not the beneficiary of that system. And I think he he had a lot of resentment about wealth and privilege. So it was, there was a lot of contradiction in his own life because he had done so well, he was afforded, you know, to have a, a better lifestyle. And then the kids that he was raising grew up only knowing that lifestyle. And I think that was a real conflict for him. And he didn't deal with it very well because I don't think he knew how to deal with it. Um, so, you know, he would often, um, in strange ways, try to manufacture struggle for us in ways that just always seemed like um, not very loving, you know? Like, it, 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 I can see that there was love behind it now, but as a kid, it was... Um, it was always a very strange thing to have this, um, this conflict that was sort of niggling him, um, you know, throughout our growing up. And uh, so I, I actually did grow up um, in a very comfortable family, you know, and did not have to worry about certain things. Um, did, you know, my parents paid for my college, um, you know, certain things that, many people have to struggle 
um, with, I did not have to struggle with. And I think that my daughters are also growing up with a similar, you know, we've been able to provide a certain lifestyle and a certain standard of living um, that, that insulates them from a lot of struggle. And I think, you know, I think there is something about this concept of having to struggle. Um, and it's something I think about a lot because I know it obsessed my dad. Um, and in his own way, the way that things worked out, we all did have to struggle. It just wasn't when we were, you know, growing up and, and, and teenagers, um, it came later. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. What, what makes you ask that question? It was actually, like, yeah. in your own life? Uh, well, I was going to say, it's something that I think about quite a lot as well, because I think that if things are handed to you on a silver platter, like that can be taken for granted. And, and, and I know that some of the people that are the most passionate about something or the most talented generally have had to work really hard to get there. And then they break through and see that, have that real love for it. And, and, and that's when, you know, they, they can really throw themselves into it. And, and I, I worry that if there, if there aren't those elements of struggle, what sort of, is everything just too easy and it's easy to just dabble a little bit here and there, dance around the edges and never actually dive deep into anything or, or at least do the, do the work that is inv- necessary to, to break through to a, another level in something. And I, I've thought about how, and, and this is our mutual friend that suggested I ask you about this because he, he said that, you know, you guys have talked about this quite a lot. And um, I think I would, I love the idea of providing environments for my kids to learn the skill of how to handle struggle, but I'm still unsure of the best ways to go about that. Because Mm. I know that the times in my life when I've done something, I've generally been one of the worst in the room at it to start with, but I've decided I really want to do it. And then it's been a really big struggle, but then I've come out the other side feeling ace because I actually went through that struggle and I appreciate it more. And I think like you mentioned that your dad tried to engineer these struggles. It sounded Joe like he was off the mark on some of them. Can you, I mean, do you have any examples of how he tried to do that? Um, Certainly when it came to financial support, there were always these shifting Never goal, quite goalposts. Ah, right. Goal. So you think that was it? It was more like the goalposts kept moving. Yeah, I mean, I think that he didn't really know how to go about it. And I appreciate that now. I mean, I think that struggle is something that has a long, you know, it it's you spend your whole life really struggling to achieve things. And uh, I think it's it's something that's cyclical and it doesn't, it's not just confined to your teen years or to your early twenties. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel like I, um, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I was, when I graduated from college. Um, my path to what I do now was really meandering. Um, and I don't feel like I really started struggling 
until then. Um, and I don't think that anything that my dad sort of placed in my way was ever really going to feel like a struggle because it always just felt like this arbitrary thing yeah. that he was placing between me and whatever it was like, um, you know, paying for college or, you know, whatever it, whatever it was. Um, it just felt very arbitrary and not like I was struggling against something in the world or I was struggling to get, um, a skill or to, um, you know, gain proficiency at something. It was, my dad has placed this thing in my way yeah. and, um, you know, it's, but I, but I also appreciate, um, how much struggle is a key factor in really building you as a person and building that foundation. Um, so and I do, worry, I do worry about, um, you know, the, on the one hand life, it's like, it's becomes, especially with the internet and just how much possibility and media there is out there all the time. And the inundation of images and ideas. And, um, I, I feel like it's, it must be so overwhelming to be a young person right now. Um, you know, when I was young, I, I grew up in a, you know, a fairly small community in San Diego. Um, certainly like my bubble was pretty small and I had a really driving passion in one thing. And so I was, that was super, surfing, was it? I was surfing yeah. and I was super sing single-minded about surfing and that kept me really focused. Um, and you know, when I was growing up, surfing was not a viable way of making a living. There were, um, there was an industry. It was fledgling. It was still very um, uh, kind of, it wasn't mainstream yet. Yeah. Um, it was going through that transition. I mean, by the time I got to college, it had gone fully mainstream. And suddenly the guys that I grew up competing with were actually making really decent livings so that the, the industry had changed um, during my sort of, um, you know, time in that world because you, you, you were sponsored uh, by billabong and so on weren't you yeah i had some um as an as an amateur um i had some sponsors uh billabong and a uh, surfboard company called Bassells and um west suits which is actually a, an australian wetsuit company um so you know those are the things that i lived for at that time in my life like that was my only goal in life was to be sponsored by Billabong. That was my ultimate goal because they were the coolest. Like they had the best surf movies. They had the best team, you know, Mark Ocalupo and Sonny Garcia and all these guys that were my heroes. Um, so when that happened for me, it was like, I couldn't even see past that. Like <laughs> I had arrived, you yeah. know, and I was, I think 14 when that, when I joined the team and by the time I was 16, I knew that um, it wasn't something that was going to keep me interested long-term, yeah. but throughout, you know, from the time I started surfing and got really passionate, which is like 
you know, uh, 10, 11 years old to when I was 16, it really gave me this focus. Um, and just definitely there was struggle there. Um, just trying to kind of, um, it was, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a sport that, um, is, you know, just having a sport that you're really passionate about that drives you having that drive, um, that's a really valuable thing. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm saying is my world was so, was so focused and so small and contained and the world now that my daughters live in is just so inundated by media and by imagery and, um, too much know, opportunity, too much opportunity for distraction. And, um, you know, just, just, I can't imagine trying to kind of figure out. And I know that my, my, my 16 year old daughter, even though she's only 16, I know that she has, even when she was, you know, even younger, probably when she was 13 or 14, she was really worried because she didn't know what she was good at and what she was going to do in her life, you know? And I don't know if it's, common for that to happen at such a young age um but you know that that must be so difficult how did how did you deal with that um well i just i tried to assure her that um you know that while that was a really um like powerful thing that she was wrestling with, that she had a lot of time, you know, that she was yeah. worried about it way before I was ever worried about it. And she said, well, dad, you had surfing though. Like you gotcha. knew that yeah. was what you were, you know, so passionate about. Um, but after surfing, I mean, I was in the desert for decades, you know, I did not know what I was going to do with my life. And, when did you uh, actually find photography, Joe? Well, I did. Um, some photography in high school and um, you know, I was always interested. I did um, art and photography in college, but I studied anthropology and I thought that, you know, cultural anthropology, um, that was the most interesting subject that I encountered at school. And I just thought, well, this, you know, I'm going to go with this because these are the coolest sounding classes. And before I knew it, I was, you know, I was looking at senior year and, um, I had no interest in being an anthropologist, you know, um, and I thought I would maybe study architecture. Um, I did a year of architecture school and did a couple uh, summer internships in architecture, but um, that was not an industry that um, I really, it, it was a very dead industry at the time in the early or late nineties in California, there was not a lot of building going on. Um, so it just didn't seem like a real fertile time to be like planting a seed in, uh, you know, in that industry. But, um, basically I kind of fell into what I do because even though I had an interest in photography, um, I had an internship that was supposed to happen in San Francisco that got postponed. So when I graduated from college, I thought I was going to San Francisco, but because, there was a tech boom and San Francisco was so expensive. I couldn't move there if my job had been postponed. So I stayed in Los Angeles for the summer 
just, um, you know, because I knew people here and I knew I could get a job working in production because I knew people in that industry. And, um, you know, the first time I went to set and saw what was going on, I just, I, uh, it was pretty quick that I forgot about um, going <laughs> to San Francisco and, you know, trying to, uh, to study architecture again. Uh, and I knew right away that camera was what I was interested in and was lucky enough to find some um, producers and production managers who let me drive the camera truck and, you know, so then I could go meet the camera assistants and help them. And they in turn teach you how to, you know, load the magazines with film and label the magazines so that you actually have a skill that kind of gets you in the door. And um, just, you know, like that, it, it's an industry that really allowed, if you worked hard, you could move pretty quickly up, up the ladder. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it just just basically, if you were interested, keen to work hard and, and would show up, you'd basically be able to progress through the ranks and, and get to meet the right people that would help you get more work, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true in most things, right? It's like you show up and um, you show up on time and uh, you work really hard. And it tends to be that um, that you know, that you can, you know, succeed in, in, in any industry with that kind of drive. But I think definitely, you know, you never, you know, now when I look back on it, that was sort of the end of the golden age of commercial film production in Los Angeles, where you had these major production companies with these huge directors who would bill obscene amounts of money and have these huge advertising budgets and, you know, the DP would be this guy with a, you know, a, a dark uh, monocle glass looking at lights and, um, you know, with these strange instruments and um, nobody quite knew what any of the images were going to look like um, because it was film and you only kind of got this um, like weird uh, broken video image that was an approximation of what the final image might be. And there was this mystique you know, yeah. <laughs> around um, image making that I just thought was super interesting. And, um, you know, I think there's a, there's an element of sort of science and art that was really interesting about, um, about the job as well that, um, you know, there's a lot of, I think, crossover between architecture and, and cinematography in that way. Yeah. Um, but certainly uh, the team aspect of the job um, was something that I immediately loved. And, you know, that's the thing that to this day I really appreciate about my job is that, you know, each time I work, it's a new group of people generally in a new place, a lot of times in a different city. Um, and you kind of all come together with these skills that you all have in these, you know, these sort of, roles that you all know the other can you know you dovetail with these people that you don't necessarily know but you share this knowledge and this um you know this way of working and um it's just an amazing way of um being able to have it you know it's an amazing occupation to be able to meet you know new people all the time and to be able to travel and um you know people like mac primo who um you know, I met in 2014 um, and right away we just 
uh, clicked and um, he's become a lifelong friend. Yeah. Now, um, what do you think would be your favorite photograph that you've taken of your girls? Like, do, mm. do any sort of stick out? Do you have any sort of ones particularly hung in your house or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a few that we have hanging in the house. Um, I think the, probably my, my eldest daughter, um, there's a photograph I took of her at our house. It was just, um, it was around sunset and, and, um, I have these old Polaroid cameras, which shoot, um, Polaroid film and you can't buy the stuff anymore. And, and you can't get any that's still, um, in date. So all of the film is, is, um, expired. And a lot of times, so will it would do the, crazy stuff that you just don't, well, you can't predict it. And sometimes, <laughs> um, it's good. And sometimes, you know, it's disappointing, but, um, this particular photograph just, um, it, it just worked out, you know, it was one of those magical ones where everything came together and, um, and I've been taking photographs of my daughters for so long that, um, they're really good about it. Um, they don't always want to be in <laughs> photographs. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they definitely protest and I try not to push it too much, uh, unless the light is perfect and <laughs> in which case I will push it. But, uh, they, they're really good at not, you know, like having cheese ball smiles and, I just like them to kind of be whatever they are in the photograph and not be, you know, like self-aware or not do something for the camera. Um, and they're just, they're, they have a, they have a way of, you know, being in front of the camera that's very comfortable that I certainly don't possess, um, which, uh, tends to lead to really good photographs. Right. Have either of them picked up and followed in your footsteps with photography? Yeah, I mean, they're both interested in, in photography. Uh, my older daughter, she has done a lot of different, uh, like, different forms of art. Um, you know, in her previous school, they had a pretty good art program, and she did some really interesting mixed media stuff. She did some interesting collage stuff. Um, so she's a really creative visual artist, but in the last few years, that stuff has kind of receded a little bit in, in place of maybe more traditional, like educational, um, work that is, uh, you know, it's her new school is a bit more buttoned up. Um, so she doesn't have the same time and space, um, for art, but she has managed to keep photography going and and her new school actually has uh, a photo lab and they get to shoot negative and develop the film and print the film um and she's got a great eye so um i'm hoping that you know that is something that can keep going through uh through her time in high school she's already signed up to do a um an independent study next year so um yeah she's she's into it and then my younger daughter is actually the one who, uh, 
you know, she, she told us pretty early that she was going to do my job when she grew up and <laughs> she wanted to get a camera. And so we got her, you know, a pretty, um, you know, like not a, not a, like a, a junker, um, camera, but you know, a, a camera that was age appropriate for like an eight year old that was yeah. really interested in photography so that it wasn't, what was know, it out of interest? Not too many buttons. Um, it was a, I forget what kind of Nikon it was. Um, it was like D70 or something. It, you know, it was probably, um, you know, like a $600 camera. So it comes with a zoom lens. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it takes great photographs. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is she, she sometimes takes photographs that like, you know, I would, uh, like I am impressed by and would struggle <laughs> to go capture the same time. You know, she, the thing that's so amazing about um, their photography um, and especially with my younger daughter, I see this because she has a lot of young friends that she will take photographs of. Um, it's just like the look in the subject's eye when it's my 11 or 10 or nine year old daughter like they just get this photograph that I can't get, you know, out of their friends and out of young people. Cause I'm obsessed with taking pictures of, of kids. Like I just, I love photographing my daughters and, and their friends and, and that sort of. Um, Trying to capture moments. Yeah. Just capture moments and just like, um, you know, that they're, at the, with their school, they go on a lot of camping trips and there's just these like wild, you know, um, unkempt, uh, bleary eyed, you know, <laughs> moments yeah. that, um, that are really encouraged by her school. I mean, they, they really do a good job of getting the kids way away from, um, civilization and devices and everything. And, um, so those, those kinds of trips, like the pictures that my daughter gets are just like, they're just these windows in that like, I don't ever see those <laughs> expressions from yeah. kids because, you know, I'm not a kid. I don't have that, um, that passport anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, it's really interesting. I, I hope they stick with it. And I, I hope that like, um, you know, they can keep collecting like a body of work because it's, it's definitely a privileged access that um, like yields really good, yeah, uh, really interesting and very honest photographs. So, I mean, it's it's obviously like a an SLR, and and then yeah. would she use like as she got her own computer to download, the, upload the photos to, and stuff like that? Would she edit them herself? And yeah, yeah. So um, my younger daughter has doesn't have her own. Um, computer, but she has access to our, like our family computer. And, um, she, she knows how to download all the photos herself. And then, um, uh, she also has a printer, which we bought her. Gotcha. So she yeah, can, that's the, that's the, that closes it off. So she can actually get the hard copies. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, she likes to paper her walls with photographs. Oh, and, awesome. Uh, I think that's like, that's one thing about, digital photography is it's just so ephemeral that you sort of collect all these images and then you just move on, yeah. you know, whereas, um, 
if you have that physical photograph that's in a drawer or on your wall, um, I think, you know, it becomes a part of your life in a way that, that um, this kind of ephemeral vanishing stream of images um, don't. You know? Yeah. And I suppose the, the Polaroid was brilliant for that in its day, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, um, I always, I mean, I was always obsessed with Polaroids. Um, it's, uh, it's still like, I think some of the best photographs you get are with Polaroid cameras because it's so disarming and, uh, and instant, you know, you, know, you only have to wait two minutes, <laughs> but it's also like, you never really look bad yeah. in, a, in a Polaroid picture for some reason. Uh, it's just, it's a very forgiving medium. Yeah. Um, I still have, I, I bought like, um, 150 boxes of film <laughs> yeah. when they were still available, like in 2011. And, you know, I, they were not expensive. Now these boxes go for a hundred dollars a box, Whoa. $10 an exposure. <laughs> like it's impossible to get this stuff anymore. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's not something that I can afford to go buy a box of these anymore, but um, it, because they're so rare and because it's so valuable, it, it places an extra import on every photograph. Um, so while like Polaroid might've been like the ephemeral sort of um, discardable or, you know, um, you know, fun sort of form of photography back in the day, um, now for me, it's like the most, uh, <laughs> conscious, like with the most, I, I approach those photographs with the most intent. Um, and they're not like the ones that you, it's not like the one that sort of comes out like a, you know, like spits out yeah. and then you shake it and, it, right, okay. and it slowly comes. It's, it's a medium format, um, Polaroid. So it comes out as a print. And you you kind of peel, oh, peel off, off the back layer. end. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen those yeah, before? Yeah. Yeah. Not for a while. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like like sort of these these yeah. types. Yeah. Of... I remember those. Awesome. <laughs> and I mean, because we're really, I, I love the idea of actually printing photos. What what printer would you actually recommend? Uh, I mean, obviously not a high end. I, I maybe yours is a high end one. I don't know, but for a family. Yeah, you know. I actually haven't been printing. My daughter has her printer, which just prints these little. That's you know, perfect. Uh, yeah. What sort of printer do you guys find has been good? Um, well, her her printer. Um, I don't even know. It's it's a Canon. I know that. I don't know what the um, you know what the make or model is, but um, I've gotten really into scanning. So because I take a lot of film pictures. My, like my investment went into a really good scanner. Yeah. So I have a printer that I use, um, like a, like a printer who, um, will produce whatever kind of print I need. And it's still pretty affordable, um, to do that because there's not a lot of times when I feel like a, like a photograph is print worthy. Obviously all the, the Polaroids are prints. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, in terms of printing my own stuff, um, I just, I haven't, um, I don't have a printer at home. <laughs> gotcha. So, I mean, um, 
What about travel as well? Because you, I mean, travel must play a big part in your yeah. your your photography journey as well. Yeah. Are, are there any sort of key places you've been to or taken the kids to that you just were blown away by? Yeah, um, we've traveled a lot with the kids. Um, it's just you know we have friends who like to take trips, just like uh, you know just the couple and they, you know, they, they like to take, um, we have friends that like to take trips without their kids. And, uh, we are very much, um, we really like traveling with the kids. I mean, it's, um, we have my, my wife's family used to go to this village, this, uh, village in Switzerland. Um, and it was a place they would go skiing. Um, and my wife had told me about this place, this magical place, uh, from, you know, the time we'd met and, um, we'd always talked about going and, um, we used to, when we'd go visit, uh, her parents in England, we would just, tend to stay there in England and spend all the time with them because we don't get to see them very often and it's a long trip. So yeah, we're, we're the um, same. It's tough like that. You sort of feel like you, you don't want to take your whole holiday up with that, but you kind of need to, we want to spend as, as, mo- as much time with the extended family as possible as well. It's right. Like real balance. But what we found was that we weren't actually ever going to see any of Europe because yeah. when we would go to, to see her parents, we wouldn't want to leave and um, we wouldn't really ever go to Europe without going to see her parents. So we we decided a few years back that every time we go to England, we need to take you know a three or four or five day excursion out to to a new place and see a new place. So um, Christmas before last, we went to uh, we went to this village in Switzerland, Mirren, which. I mean, I had only ever really seen Switzerland in like James Bond films yep. and, you know, um, uh, Sound of Music. But this place was so magical and it was set, it's set on the side of a, um, of a mountain and it's about 4,000 feet up. And literally, like you look over the edge of the village and it's a sheer drop into this valley. <laughs> yeah. And then, that mountain extends up out of the village and becomes the ski area. Um, so it's this, there's no cars, there are no chains of any sort. So it's all just very, very traditional Swiss. I mean, things haven't changed there since, you know, the, it literally <laughs> doesn't look like there's been anything built there since 1950. Why? And um, it was just, uh, you know, you take this tram well, you, you know, we flew into Zurich and then you take a train and another train and then you get off that train and switch trains. The trains and, get older know, and older as you change. Older <laughs> and older, more and more rickety. And then the trains give way to, um, you know, uh, like a cable car, which then became a ski lift. Um, and then finally we were like transported to the base of this village and, um, just it was you know the sun was setting and um 
it was really nice out. It wasn't, you know, it, it was clear. And um, it's just those, those kinds of experiences with your family um, where you know you're making a memory um, are just invaluable. Yeah. Ah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Need to get out more. Feel, uh, I feel the cabin fever sort of uh, building yeah, up well, at the it's, moment. Yeah, well, I mean, because that, that, like, I spend a lot of time traveling for work. You know, I'm, I'm rarely home. Uh, and over the course of the years, we've, like, I've figured out ways of staying current with the girls. You know, I found that, like, texting a lot of the time is a really, has been a really great way of, of sort of staying current with them because it doesn't require quite as much as a phone call or a FaceTime call. And, um, you know, there's just a way of kind of keeping, um, keeping up on things through text that, um, and also it's like, you know, they can be at school and I can be at work and we can still be, you know, like having, you know, inside jokes or, you know, that my daughter, my older daughter and I have this thing where we take pictures of this, um, there's a surf shop where I grew up that um, has this very distinctive logo and you see it all over the world, even though it's this like really small, it's, it's one surf shop in a small town in Southern yeah. California, but this logo is everywhere. And so we always take pictures and send it to each other cool. where we see it in weird places, certain things like that um, where you can kind of stay current and, and keep up. Um, but I haven't worked since March 12th um, and I actually haven't traveled since February. So it's really the longest stretch of time since the girls were born when I haven't done any traveling at all. Um, and our family is so used to a certain dynamic that um, suddenly <laughs> they're like, everyone, who, who is this guy that's hanging around all yeah. the time? <laughs> yeah. Who's this guy with the rule? Uh, it's been, it's been tricky. You know, it has not been, um, very easy, um, to, uh, you know, I think you, you derive, my wife and I both love what we do for work. And so it's a lot of, it's a lot of our, who we are and our identity is in our work. And, um, and there's a balance between work and, and raising kids that um, is always like, it's always a dance, but once the work thing fell away, um, it's been, it's been different, you know, it's been, it's um, suddenly now we spend a lot more time cooking and talking about what meals we're going to have, and, yeah. you know, certain things that, you know, would be sort of just a, a sort of parenthetical thing are now kind of, the main focus of our day. Um, and, uh, I mean, do you, have you, do you travel for work or? Yeah, I travel a lot. And so that's been the biggest change for me too. <clears throat> so I'd be on the road, I guess, going overseas six times a year at least for, you know, yeah. pro pro probably more. Um, and that'd be for a week, 10 days at a time. Um, sometimes more as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd probably, that's been yeah the biggest difference um but being at home uh we've definitely struggled with that you know the balance between 
Home, homeschooling has been the hardest thing, I think. Um, I think because I set my expectations really high, like, oh, yeah, I can do this. Like, you know, my wife, she's a, a fully trained teacher. She definitely can do this. And um, and I found it was a really tough dynamic to sort of get that balance right with, I want the kids to get through what they're set to do, but I also don't want to be <clears throat> taking up all their time with school if I think they can get it out of the way earlier as well. And so there was that balance because I, I thought that just because there's a lot of time wasted when you go to school, not not wasted in the sense of, you know, it's it's valuable to be spending time with your friends. But if you're not actually getting that time, then your lesson time is actually quite short. So if yeah. you can get all your work done in the morning, then we can do some cool stuff in the afternoons as well. And so there's been all these sort of, I had lofty expectations initially, and then they those sort of got eked away. And I, I think we've sort of settled on a, a level that feels much more comfortable now and i'm a a little bit bummed i guess now that we feel like it's it's much better that they're going back to school next week and so it's like oh damn wish i'd sorted this out earlier but um it's been a golden time they're going back already well yeah so our two youngest uh will uh, he's in prep and ali's in year two and so they're going back next week and then annie's in grade four and she's going back two weeks after that like we we've been super lucky over here. We um we dodged a bullet in a big way by locking down really quickly. Um, but I suppose that you know there's always the risk that it could spike again, and so <clears throat> it's it's certainly not without a level of trepidation that we'll send them back to school because we've still got um you know we're very mindful that you know grandma as well she she do the kids get to go visit her after they go back to school i mean it's yeah. um it's 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 going to be tough i mean it's it's definitely tougher for many many more people around the world but um there are these things that go through your mind um and and i think me not traveling has has been good because i can still get my work done i mean we live in an age that's so much easier to do your work virtually um yeah. and then that's afforded me more time with the family as well so it's it's been it's been great on on a number of levels mm. but um yeah i do miss the travel it's 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 one of the things i enjoy um yeah so and it's one of the things i want to share with the kids as much as possible as well as they get older yeah the i mean yeah. talking of sharing things like have you daughters got into surfing at all um I think I made a mistake early on by maybe pushing it a little bit too much. Um, and my young, my, my firstborn, my eldest daughter, um, had a pretty bad experience, um, getting held under and, um, that sort of put her off for a year probably. Um, and she, she, like last summer, she probably asked me three times if if she could come surfing with me. So she has an interest, um, but you know, it's not something that's taken off. Like um, I, she's both of them are really um, good. Like they can both do it, and I know that they can do it well enough that they can do it for the rest of their lives. And that's kind of the key thing for me because it's just the best thing that I ever learned to do in my life. And it's something that I know I'll do for the rest of my life. And it 
just keeps me grounded and healthy. And um, I think it's just, it's a real no brainer because um, it's something that I really enjoy, but it also keeps me really like healthy. And yeah. um, so it, it's, it's definitely a gift, um, which I would like to pass, you know, or be a part of um, passing on to them. Would um, you have done anything different then? Like, would you have just eased off on trying to get a, to go out early on? What, what advice would you give yourself there if you? Yeah, I think the advice that I would give myself is to find, if possible, find friends or peers that are interested and sort of try and go bring the, bring the friends into it. Because um, I think, you know, when, when you're young and, and um, you're not good at something, if you have a friend that is also not good at it, that, you know, figures something out, you then have this sense that, oh, I can do that too. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's suddenly the opportunity, uh, the door opens for you. If, you're fr- if you see your friend who you know, you know, like if they can do it, I can do it. And if that friend, you know, can do it, then I think that that has a much more powerful um in, in, yeah, and it, so removing the contrast because obviously the contrast between your ability and hers was just, uh, you know, a step change. Whereas having right. a friend there, they're on an equal footing and they can sort of yeah. have a compare. Oh yeah, I can totally, yeah, do what she just did. Yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I think friends. You know, it's the same thing with skiing. My daughters um, just didn't want to learn to ski for the longest time. And we tried forcing lessons, um, you know, numerous times dropping them at ski schools with them in tears and feeling like, you know, have we just screwed up? Are they going to remember this for the rest of their life? Are they going to have all kinds of like, you know, issues and baggage about skiing now because we forced them to do this thing? Um, We struggled and we felt we were doing the wrong thing and we thought our kids were really upset and, it's like you just make this whole mess trying to push this thing. And then the following year, we went with another family and the kids all wanted to ski. And it was our friends' kids took our kids and it was the most effortless thing. And from that moment on, they've loved skiing. And, you know, they we often ski together. We can ski together as a family, which is the only thing that we really do as a family that is is like that is like athletic and we can all enjoy it at the same time. And, um, but getting the friends involved was just the key to unlocking all of that because then it was a really positive thing. They learned something independent from us, which felt really empowering for them. And my wife and I could go ski on our own and not feel guilty you know, and not feel like we've just screwed our kids up. That's genius. Um, yeah, I've never heard it put like that, but it makes so much se- yeah. so much sense now you've said it. Yeah, I mean, that that's what we found. Mm. And I've, I've got friends that have, um, one of the things that they made an agreement with themselves was they were, even if they didn't have the money one year, they, w- they would take their three kids skiing. That was the one sort of pack they made when they started having a family. And they reckon it's paid off so well because it is, like you say, Joe, it's the one thing that their family will always want to go on holiday with them. Whereas when their daughter was, I think she was sort of maybe 15 or something, she didn't want to go to the beach with them or go on holiday somewhere else. But if it was a ski trip, 
she was all in and so it's that one thing that's kept the family together even though the kids are now in their 20s they'll still want to go on a ski trip with mom and dad so yeah oh yeah it's a yeah even with surfing even with surfing there's always the sense even if they ask me to come there's always the sense that well, dad's just going to want us to stay out longer than we want to stay out yeah, or yeah. dad's going to want to stay at the beach longer than we want to stay at the beach. But with skiing, it's, we all equally love it. And, um, so there's none of that sort of tension there. Yeah. We can just enjoy it together, but separately, you yeah. know, you, you, that's, that's the key thing. I like it. Now, and you touched on earlier, um, your wife, Tamsin. So what would you say would be her superpower with bringing up the kids? Um, I don't know how, I mean, I, th- I think this is fairly common with, uh, couples cause I've, we have a few friends that have this similar dynamic, but, um, in our relationship, I often have the role of like the cop or the bad guy as a parent. And my wife, you know, tends to be the person that jokes around and keeps things light. And it is her superpower is that like, even, you know, this has been a really stressful time with both of our jobs that, you know, vanished on March 12th uh, with no real um, prospect to resume in the near future. And um, that's a pretty heavy thing to, to deal with um, just professionally. Um, and as you know, in your own career, it's tough to sort of face something like that, but also it just creates a lot of stress for the family. Um, just basic stuff, like, especially with a government um, as incompetent as ours, um, where you really feel like there are no adults that are in positions of power to make intelligent decisions um, that can sort of uh, float you through this time. Um, It really has, there's been a lot of times where we really worry about how we're going to be able to um, pay our mortgage or keep food on the table, just really basic stuff that we uh, six months ago would never have fathomed that we would be facing. Um, And when stuff like, you know, in situations like that, um, I tend to sort of go into problem solving mode and, um, you know, like how can we, how can we really steal our ship for these uncertain, you know, waters and how can we set ourselves up in a way? And, and, you know, so for me, I get sort of, um, I can have a tendency to, to, to stress out about, um, situations that are like that. And my wife just has this uncanny ability to bring levity into the most unexpected situations. (laughs) And um, I mean, she also has her days where she gets down and, um, you know, I think we have a good way of, of balancing the other when, when she gets down like that, you know, it's sort of on me to kind of bring up the mood and, bring things back to a better place and keep things positive and light. And, um, but more often than not, it's her cracking the jokes. It's her being absolutely, you know, um, silly and, and she's just brilliant at it. She's really good at, 
um, injecting levity and fun and um, uh, like just a sense of like, like a childlike um, sense of the world or an experience, um, which uh, sometimes the world just doesn't make sense. And um, you, there isn't a solution and worrying about it a lot is not productive. Yeah. Uh, and I think my wife has an instinct in those situations to just bring, bring us back into the moment and bring some joy and levity <laughs> in situations. And I know that my daughters would say that my mom, uh, that their mom is, is the fun one. Um, and you know, that's, that's definitely her superpower. And I think she gets a lot of that from her dad, actually. Yeah. Her dad is, um, I mean, her dad's a lot of things, but he's definitely has a very firm grasp of, um, sense know, of humor and, and humor and the importance of, of levity and, and not taking things too seriously. What what do you reckon, what are you doing, Joe, when you show up in your eyes as a great dad? Um, I think what I try to do is, um, just be present, um, and have an awareness about like who, cause my kids are so different from one another. And I think all, you know, all of us are unique. Um, but I have two children and they're very, very unique. They're very different from one another. Um, the things that I learned raising my older daughter do not apply to my younger daughter and to approach fatherhood as if what applies to one works with the other would, would not work at all. And, um, just, um, I think part of being a good friend and being a good, um, parent and being a good husband is just paying attention and trying to really be present and not um, like not assume that, that you always know what's going on or, you know, what, um, what, what a kid needs at any um, given point. Um, and, you know, you don't always know. So, so you have to, you have to communicate and that's part of being present is just, you know, checking in and trying to keep a dynamic that is um, inviting and neutral enough so that like that idea that you still have a spot at the table, like you can still be someone that they confide in and someone that they can share things with. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think that, when you are able to be really present and not be judgmental and um, really uh, bring all of your sort of understanding of them to the table, you can actually, you know, be, um, you can actually help them, you know, in, in, in giving advice or 
or not necessarily, it doesn't have to be in giving advice by just sort of being there and, and like seeing them and hearing them. And, um, uh, you know, I think that that's, that's something that my mom was really good at. Um, and, uh, when I look back on like how my mom raised me, that was the thing that I feel, um, she really helped me, uh, sort of discover who I was, um, because she gave me so much space and was always willing to, um, sort of listen and be there in a really non-judgmental way. Um, and I think, you know, a big part of growing up is just trying to figure out who you are and how you fit in, um, this crazy world. that seems to be just getting crazier and crazier in terms of like how you find your way and how you discover who you are. Um, I think that's only gotten more difficult. Uh, you know, like we talked about in the age of the internet and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and all of that stuff. Um, and I think that, um, you know, it's a lot of time is wasted in um, like traditional education. Um, like we were talking, you were talking about how, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, I mean, it's, I don't know about your experience in, in like elementary school or in primary school, but I think there's a lot of time there that's wasted where you're just sort of going through the motions of rote memorization and, yeah. and learning of no interest or use, um, knowing. And, um, like the real challenge and the real work of life seems to be discovering and developing who you are. And it's a lifelong uh, process. And I think as parents, you have a privileged position to be witness to, you know, the development and the growth that happens early on where you can really start to see how, you know, a kid is unique and what their unique needs might be. And if you can sort of um, help reflect that back to them and help guide them with those things in mind, um, you know, I think that's, that's at least my goal as a parent. Yeah. Um, and then my, you know, hopefully have some fun and uh, with my wife's help, bring some <laughs> joy and levity into the process as well. And, and have some good memories. Yeah. And definitely collect good memories and good photographs. Yeah. That's, um, that's brilliant, Joe. And, um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out today for sharing your yeah, ideas and insights with us. It's, I, I've really enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's been inspiration. So thank you so much, Joe. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Joe as much as I did. I'll leave a link to Joe on the website in case you'd like to get in touch with him. If you're enjoying these conversations, please give the show a rating and even more so, please review it. I love reading the reviews and it really helps others to discover the podcast. Well, that's all from me. I hope you stay safe and sane and until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. <laughs>